0: The House of Representatives does have a speaker for now. Anyhow, that was a heavy lift. What comes next now that Capitol Hill is operational again, more or less? We get this week's outlook from Bloomberg Government Deputy News Director Lauren Duggan. And after all the fanfare and I guess some Democrats came over and voted and it was all moonlight and roses for 30 seconds on Capitol Hill. What can we expect this week as the real issues start crowding back in?
1: Well, a lot of the work that they had hoped to do before the three weeks without a speaker is being resumed now, and the biggest effort is a resumption of debating the fiscal 2024 appropriations bills. This was all precipitated by the bill that kept the government open, with um, many Republicans unhappy that Kevin McCarthy had come up with a bill that relied on a lot of Democratic support to become law and to keep the government open through November 17th. Now, a good chunk of that time through November 17th was eaten up by this process, but we saw almost immediately they swore in mike johnson as the speaker they did a resolution on israel which is something else that had been held up and then they went right back to one of the spending bills and they passed that before they left town last week so we have five through the house now um, one that was rejected and a plan that's kind of ambitious to get through the others at least pass house versions of them get them over to the senate and try to get a process going here to get full year appropriations in now there's talk again about another cr we'll have to see what happens there but they got back to business pretty quickly once
0: they could Therefore, they're trying to avoid another CR if they can and go not the omnibus route, but the fewer consolidated bills route, ideally.
1: The plan that new Speaker Johnson had circulated even before he was Speaker trying to win support from his colleagues was maybe a CR into January or maybe April. So, you know, let's make progress on the regular bills. Let's not go to the CR route quite yet. But he wants to keep that in his back pocket as a way to keep the government open. He may have more leeway to do that just because he's got almost universal support in the Republican conference. There were no no votes against him on the House floor, unlike the other votes we had seen before that. So he might have the ability to do that. Now, he also has to work pretty quickly with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and President Joe Biden, which, you know. One chamber alone, one party alone in this system isn't going to get everything it wants. But, you know, I think he could buy himself some time, but try to make progress and try to secure some of the wins he wants as a conservative, because that's kind of how he ran for the job as somebody who wants to see conservative wins in these bills.
0: Right. Maybe that's one challenge is President Biden and Chuck Schumer. Maybe the bigger challenge are his own party members, the same group that ousted Kevin McCarthy.
1: That's right. The motion to vacate that took out Kevin McCarthy is still there. But of course, his path to the speakership, once he was the nominee, was much smoother than Kevin McCarthy's was, or Scalise, Jim Jordan, or Tom Emmer, all of whom faltered after they won their party's backing. So I think he starts off in a somewhat stronger position, but you have to see how this plays out in the coming weeks.
0: And what about the aid package that the president promised to request? That's, I guess, in front of Congress now, this as the United States has been carrying out its own strikes against Iran or proxies in Iran over in Syria, that situation is not getting any less complicated either.
1: It is not. And there's two packages now to deal with. One is the $106 billion that was requested for Ukraine, Israel, the border, and allies in the Indo-Pacific region, among others. And then there's a $56 billion domestic package to cover disaster aid, child care, other priorities that the administration has and that many Democrats in Congress will go along with. The question on all this is going to be packaging and what can you get through. Democrats have been viewing that $106 billion as one package to deal with, maybe a Ukraine plus Israel bill. We already heard last week from Speaker Johnson that he's looking at bifurcating those interestingly, he wasn't saying no to Ukraine aid, which is something that many Republicans on the House side are leaning towards now. They don't necessarily want Ukraine aid, and he might want some different strictures on that or different reporting requirements. So we'll see. But he may want two bills. The Senate Democrats may only want one. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And the domestic spending could be a tough sell because, as you know, even before we got to this point, the domestic spending and the regular appropriations bills, there's a big gap between what the House and the Senate want. And so that's just going to complicate that discussion further.
0: We're speaking with Lauren Duggan. He's deputy news director for Bloomberg Government. So yeah, plenty to go on here. And they're not going to recess, correct?
1: That's right. These were supposed to be two weeks with less work, and now they're two weeks in session. So they're not back till Wednesday this week, but they'll have three days this week, four days next week ahead of the Veterans Day holiday.
0: And now that the House is back in business, can action happen on the National Defense Authorization Act? Because that's another deadline, maybe a deadline beyond the funding shortfall or the CR ending. But nevertheless, they want to do that this calendar year.
1: That's right. That's a bill that they'd like to get done. The House had already named its conferees. I believe the Senate still needs to do that. But they can start having informal talks. The dynamic behind that bill has been the top line number there's a lot of agreement you know maybe there's some gaps between different weapon systems or programs they can work that out on that side but there are riders in the house bill that wouldn't be palatable to the senate so we'll have to see how the negotiators deal with that when they sit down to talk about it but you could see a path where that bill could be negotiated before the end of the year come back to the two chambers and make it to the president's desk if they can resolve the gaps that exist between the house and senate versions but that one's pretty far along as as these things go
0: and FAA and the farm bill those authorizations, how are they coming along now?
1: Well, the FAA has an extension through the end of the year. That was part of the continuing resolution that was passed in late September. The House has passed a bill. The Senate hasn't. There's you know, always – behind-the-scenes talks. If the Senate were to get something through its chamber, that's something that could be negotiated and worked out. The farm bill is much further behind. Neither the House or the Senate committee has produced a bill, and there's already talk about what to do about maybe a year-long extension. Although that's tied to September 30th, the way that farm programs work, it tends to be more crop seasons and things like that that are affected. But I would expect to push maybe even around the next continuing resolution, if we go that route, to tack an extension of that on so that they have until next year to really get going on that. There's a lot of work to do on that one in particular.
0: And having taken a back seat is the issue of the holdup on nominations for promotion of general officers in the Defense Department, the Tommy Tuberville hold. And then there's a bunch of other administration appointments that need to be acted on by the Senate. Will we see progress on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, the Senate has slowly churned through these things. But to your point about Tommy Tuberville holding up the military promotions, uh, they pushed several through uh, last month, and they're looking at ways to get more through, especially the slots on the Joint Chiefs of Staff that are open. There was talk last week about maybe do we push through a rules change that doesn't necessarily seem to have gained traction yet but we'll see action there a big nomination maybe this week jack lou to be ambassador to israel obviously a key post with everything going on there we might see a confirmation vote this week and then harry coker who was nominated to be the new national cyber director he's getting a hearing so these things are continuing to percolate behind the scenes but there is still this blockade on a number of nominations that democrats have to decide how much floor time they wanted to vote to get over that
0: it's all about floor time at this point correct
1: very much so and the pipeline is getting pretty pretty blocked up here with everything that's uh, you know on the agenda
0: lauren duggan is deputy news director for bloomberg government as always thanks so much thank you and we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash federal drive here the federal drive on demand subscribe wherever you get your podcasts
2: in the federal system with that focus.
3: Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA. At this point in time, we're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture, because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about, can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in in very new ways.
2: This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership?
3: There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life and i think because first and foremost she had a strong family and a strong career and that's something i always wanted and i saw her first as my mother but then i also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia which was her chosen field but i always knew her family came first and as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins